Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome back, everybody, to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I'm Hayden Grove, joined, as always, by Cavaliers beat reporter Chris Fedor. And we are, believe it or not, we are almost two weeks from the NBA draft. (laughs) The NBA draft that probably was supposed to be in June at some point, and then, you know, everything happened. And five months later, we are finally going to be able to talk about the NBA draft in just about two weeks, November 18th. So, with that said, there's a lot to get into. We've talked so – I feel like, Chris, I feel like – and it's not our fault. I feel like we've talked so much about the draft. <laughs> yeah, I know. We sure have. That's because we have talked so much about the draft. Right. Right. And it's like it's like, you know, the players aren't changing. I mean, the only thing that's changing is maybe, you know, some of the feelings about some of the players, but um I feel like I know these guys on on a first name basis. I feel like I'm their friend <laughs> at this point just like from from everything that we've talked about and everything that I've heard and everything that you know, I've read and all that stuff. I feel like you know, I mean, and I'm sure the f- the teams feel much the same way. I mean, they've been scouting these guys for how long now? Oh my God! I mean, I remember having conversations with members of the Cavs front office back in December about a visit that they took to go see Lamelo Ball in September. I remember having a conversation with General Manager Kobe Altman about going to a practice at USC and then talking to Kevin Porter Jr. about that practice at USC because one KBJ played at USC and two. He had been um, pumping up Onyeka Kongwu for like months to me, to Kobe Altman, to assistant general manager Mike Ganzi, because obviously he knows him well from being a California kid. And he played that one year at USC and Kongwu was playing at Chino Hills in California at that time. So, you know, this goes back more than a year at this point in time, Hayden. It's crazy. I mean, and it always goes back that far because, you know, these guys are always looking towards the future and the GMs and whatnot. But this one is especially, especially long. (laughs) I mean, I will say, though, like from my standpoint in NBA draft, I feel like I've gotten more time to devote to it because, like, look, usually this is the way it goes for people don't know. Being a beat reporter is a lot of work. It's a lot of hours. It is not 40-hour weeks, right? Sometimes it's 100-plus-hour weeks. So usually it's just the grind of the whole season, and then when the season ends, in the Cavs' case, it's middle of April because they're not going to the playoffs anymore. It's You just want to escape. You want to have your whole summer free and go on vacation, take some time off. You have so much that you've written throughout the course of the year. 
Mm-hmm. And then the draft is like June, though. You know what I mean? So it kind of interrupts the summer that you want to have and the off time that you usually are spending. Um, now, because it's extended so long, like it's gotten to a point where this is where I should be writing about the Cavs in the regular season. I should have already written about the Cavs in preseason. I should have already written about the Cavs in training camp. And now because like I got enough time of a vacation during the quote unquote off season, and then I got a longer off season than what I normally get. I've been able to make these calls to these college coaches. Like earlier today, I talked to Dayton head coach, Anthony Grant about Obi Toppin. We were on the phone for 20 minutes. You Mm -hmm. know, I talked to you about the conversation that I had with Leonard Hamilton of Florida state. I was able to talk to him a few months ago. So just like, Being able to devote this kind of time to the draft excites me because I feel like I've gotten good information from the people that I've talked to. And I feel like I know these prospects better than I probably did Darius or DeAndre Hunter last year or even Jarrett Culver, like the other guys that probably were in the mix for the Cavs at number five. Right. Well, the Cavaliers certainly... uh are doing their work this week as you've done your work you've done plenty of work and um, the Cavaliers are doing their work they're doing uh, they're flying all around the country doing in-person workouts with um, you know a lot of these different prospects and and to get to know them a little bit better you reported on the Obi Toppin one um, that's some we've talked about Obi Toppin and we'll probably get into him a little bit again today but what I do want to get into with you know a, just a couple weeks until the NBA draft you wrote a piece um, titled uh, "The Cleveland Cavaliers' Five Best Options with the Number Five Pick in the 2020 NBA Draft." So we've 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 tirelessly talked about who what the Cavs are going to do at number five, who's going to be available. I mean, you know, we've gone through the scenarios, um, but this is more of a perfect world scenario, right? For you, this is more like my opinion. I wanted yeah. to be clear that this isn't what I think the Cavs are thinking. In some cases, it may be what the Cavs are thinking. To be perfectly honest with you, but. This is very different from if you're compiling a mock draft and it's what you think is going to happen. This is just my opinion on what I think is best for this team moving forward. And look, like one of these guys or two of these guys may not be what the Cavs are thinking at number five. Or the way that I have them ordered in this particular piece may not be the way that the Cavs have them ordered on their board. Um, So this isn't like a reporting thing, although there was reporting mixed into it. It's not, here are the five players that the Cavs are considering at number five, and this is the order. No, this is, this is your opinion of the, what the Cavaliers, what the best, um, you know, options for them would be. And the funny thing is, is the first, the first um, option does not involve a player. Yeah. The first option is to trade down. I mean, I, we've talked about the Cavaliers, you know, potentially having a trade down um, just because, you know, maybe there isn't a guy at five that they really love. Um, and that seems to be where you are uh, aiming with this first option. I mean, you know, the Cavaliers certainly will have suitors that will look for the number five pick at some point. I mean, they'll I'm sure they'll field some sort of trade trade calls, depending upon who's there. Um, but give me your reasoning for this uh, for this trade down option. OK, so I think there are a couple of things. First, I think they're in a rough spot for a trade down because right. I would think the prospects that would be um, enticing to teams in a move-up scenario are all going to be off the board. I think Wiseman would tempt teams into moving up, 
And I think LaMelo Ball would tempt a team like the New York Knicks into moving up. And the sense that I still get is uh, both of those guys are going to be off the board by th- before three. Um, so, like, it, even if Wiseman gets past the Warriors at number two, I think he's going to Charlotte at number three. So it's like, who's the player that would be on the board at number five that a team would desperately want to move up for? And it's hard to find that player because the sense that I get with the Cavs is the same sense that I get with other teams around the NBA. There's a top tier of guys, um, and that's LaMelo Ball, Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman in some particular order. And then there's like a cluster of six or seven in the second tier. Now, look, it only takes one team. Maybe there is one team out there that feels like Obi Toppin deserves to be in the top tier. Right. And and they move him up from the second tier. Or maybe there's a team out there that feels like Killian Hayes deserves to be in the top tier or Tyrese Halliburton, who is considered one of the cleanest prospects on and off the court. One of the safest picks in this year's draft. Maybe there's a team out there that sees him in that top tier along with those other guys. Um, that's all it takes is one team to like that. And so. I think the Cavs should dangle number five from this standpoint, Hayden. I was talking to somebody last year um, around the time of of the draft. And at that point, there was like there was certainty of one through three. Everybody knew it was going to be Zion, Ja, RJ Barrett. Yep. And then it kind of got confusing in part because the Lakers had the fourth pick and then they traded it to New Orleans and then New Orleans traded it to Atlanta. Um, but most people you talk to going into the draft were thinking either Darius or DeAndre Hunter at that fourth spot. Like if it was the Lakers, it probably would have made sense for them to go with Darius Garland. At the same time, there was a widespread belief in the NBA that the Lakers were never going to make that pick at number four. That number four was always going to be in a package intended to go to New Orleans for Anthony Davis. It just seemed like the way that the first four picks went, like the Cavs decision was made for them at number five. Yeah. And, And I feel like in some ways, this year's draft could be the same way, but it's also a more difficult decision because of how clustered the second tier is. So if the Cavs are at five and they have their choice of, let's say for the sake of this, Denny Avdia goes number four to the Chicago Bulls and it goes Edwards, Ball, Wiseman in some order, and then Avdia. Okay, so now the Cavs have their choice of Isaac Okoro, Tyrese Halliburton, Onyeka Kongwu, Obi Toppin, Killian Hayes, throw out the names Devin Vassell if you want to. Like, mm-hmm. that's a big cluster. Yeah. And and maybe they feel like one of those guys is head and shoulders above another. Maybe that's the feeling that they have once November 18th actually rolls around. But if they don't have that feeling, it's like, what's the way to decluster that? It's to get out of that pick and let everybody else make the determination in those other picks. And then wherever they move back to, whether it's eight with the New York Knicks, nine with the Washington Wizards, or 10 with the Phoenix Suns, 
You let everybody else pick from that group and you get the one that is left over from that same tier. Yeah. So basically what you're saying is that they, if they don't believe, you know, if they don't believe that there's one clear cut guy. Right. Um, at that number five spot that they like above everybody else, then it just makes sense for them to trade back and just to let everybody else make those decisions for them. Not only that, still get somebody that you like from that particular tier. Sure. Grab an extra asset or two, and then you get the best of both worlds. Right. Now, I'm not saying that that's going to happen because, again, you have to find a trade partner that wants to move up into your spot. But I threw out some hypothetical trade partners the mm -hmm. Knicks, the Wizards, the Suns, the Celtics. Like, one, they're all close enough to number five. And two, they could have an interest in climbing up the board, depending on who's available. And three, they have the kind of assets that, um, one, I think they'd be willing to give up, and two, that would entice the Cavs enough to move back a couple of spots. Right, and it couldn't be a, it couldn't be a good amount of spots. It would have to be within, you know, five to five spots or so. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, the one that I threw out was a Boston one, and that's probably too far of a drop, going from five all the way down to 14. Mm -hmm. But if a team entices them enough, I feel like the Cavs have done enough work on this particular draft class, and they started their work so early. Like, some of these teams, Hayden, in the top 10, if if they were to drop to 15 to 25, I don't know that they could say that we've seen that player. Yeah. There there would be a chance that they would be drafting a player that they hadn't seen in person during the season. Right. With the Cavs, I feel like they're 20 to 30 that that they would be comfortable drafting uh, simply because they've seen them in person in a game environment because they have done so much homework and that homework started so early in the process. Right. And you're I, I mean, the Cavaliers are certainly not the only team are there. There have been many teams to have, you know, picked guys that have they haven't seen in person necessarily. Right. Right. But, you know, you're when the, when you do more homework because you, you know, maybe it was the Cavaliers thinking that they would do more homework because they'd probably be in a position to where, you know, they had the time, and the, yep. and the opportunity to do it. So um, I, I would highly doubt that the Cavs are going to pick somebody that they haven't seen. Very, very highly doubt. Just because of the way that they operate, man. Like, it is such an important thing for them. Um, I was talking to J.B. Bickerstaff about it. And he talked about how you see a guy in person, you get the real feel for how big he is, how coachable he is, how he retains information. Um, some of those things, obviously, you can hear about. And some of those things you can read about. Um, and some of those things you can measure. But... I think the Cavs put a big deal into the in-person workout. And, and some may argue, Hayden, that it's too much of a deal. Like they yeah. put too much stock into seeing these guys in person. But I can tell you that I don't believe they would have taken Colin Sexton with the eighth pick in 2018 if he didn't have that in-person workout that he had where he lifted the entire organization. I'm not sure that the Cavs would have been fully comfortable investing a top five pick in Darius Garland if they weren't able to go see him in person at a workout, if they weren't invited by Clutch Sports and Rich Paul to go see him in the middle of June before it was time to make that pick. I, I think it's a big deal to the Cavs to see these guys in person. I mean, they've definitely proven that to be such. Absolutely. Um, 
So we haven't. So now down to the other options. Uh, we haven't really. We're not going to really hear about you know what these other workouts are going to be for the Cavaliers. I mean, we've heard about Obi Toppin, but the other ones, I think it's going to be much more so under wraps who they're going to see when they're going to see him because I think that benefits the Cavaliers, you know, mostly uh, just to keep things quiet so that they don't tip their hand one way or another. Um, but one of the names that has definitely been brought up, and I, I would be shocked if the Cavaliers weren't going to go see him, um, and he is your second option, is Mr. Isaac Okoro, uh, the guard slash forward from Auburn, um, who brings a little bit of defense to a very, very poor defensive team, has a lot of strength, athleticism, size, you write here, you write power, strength, athleticism, length, size, toughness, and desire, um, and you also call him the best defensive player in the draft. So your, M your MO has definitely been defense because the Cavaliers have been so awful on defense, and that kind of you know goes in with what you're you know what you believe this team needs is just just a ton of defense yeah but here's the thing it's not like he's a detriment on offense and the more people that i talk to um so like okay so he shot 28.6 percent from three-point range he shot less than 70 percent from the free throw line but in talking to people they don't feel like his shot is broken and they don't think that it's going to be a substantial fix that they have to make Mm -hmm. The people that I talk to feel like it's correctable flaw. So that makes me feel better about his shooting percentages maybe going up in the NBA. On top of that, that's not the only way to score in the league. <laughs> no. You know, you know what I mean? So, like, maybe in the half court, he could be problematic at times early on in his career. But he can get to the rim off the dribble. He finished through contact at a high percentage in college. Uh, he was able to get out in transition and use that athleticism, use that speed, use that quickness. So to me, like early on in his career, as he's continuing to grow and develop and evolve, Hayden, I feel like he's going to be useful enough on that end where he's not a liability. So you combine that with what he's going to give you as a defender from day one, and I feel like given the needs that the Cavs have both at that position and just in terms of a skill set, somebody who can guard the bigger guys, somebody who can switch one through maybe even four, uh, somebody who brings that level of defensive versatility at arguably the most important position in the NBA these days. I feel like to me, that's a no brainer because I believe his offensive upside is there, especially given the kind of kid he is and the kind of work ethic and the kind of competitive drive that he has from everybody that I talk to that would know. So Isaac Okoro is your, that would be your first player choice. Yes, without a doubt. Without a doubt. So that, yes. again, you say you feel that that would help on the defensive end, would help on the offensive end, you know, once you refine it a little bit. You stick with the defensive theme, as you even say, let's stick with the defensive theme. Um, <laughs> That's your next uh, option here, and um, he's a six foot nine. He's a he's a big kid, um, a good kid according to Andy Enfeld, uh, who was the coach of USC. Um, obviously, I think that Okoro just fits better because of his position, right? You know, more so than anything. I think you know Okongwu is kind of a uh, you know a smaller big, and that's kind of not what the Cavaliers are looking for in terms of fit. I mean, I just think the way that the NBA is. Um, the most important thing to have is guys like Isaac Okoro. It's why the Boston Celtics used the third overall pick on a raw, unpolished Jalen Brown coming out of Cal. 
right? It's why they were so comfortable moving out of the number one spot where they could have gotten Markel Fultz and they moved back a couple of spots and gotten Jason Tatum. The guys that impact series the most are Jimmy Butler's, right? They're Paul George's, they're Kawhi Leonard's, they're not point guards, right? And, and in some ways, they're not bigs. So it's, it's a wing league, and you've got right. to have three and D types, especially if you want to compete for playoff spots and if you want to make deep runs in the postseason. So that, to me, like not only could you make the argument that Okoro would be the best player available at the time that they pick at five, but in terms of positional value, he has more than anybody else on this list. And including uh, Okongwu. Like, yeah. That's the thing. I mean, if if Big O could shoot it from the outside and had a perimeter game, I think there would be an argument to pick him top three. Really? Right? But yeah, absolutely. Especially on the heels of what Bam Adebayo did in the playoffs for the Miami Heat. A yeah. switchable, quick defender that can, you know, guard guys in the post, but also go out to the perimeter and guard... Uh, smaller players off the dribble like that's enormous in today's nba like go ahead but 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 he doesn't have the perimeter skill on the offensive end at this point in time and i think it's fair to wonder how quick that's going to come and if it ever is going to come yeah i mean it's not certainly something that a lot of guys have worked on and it's never often come but you're right i mean that's a guy that um you know that he does. I mean, every every you know site that I've seen, every um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, I don't know. What are you looking for? Complic- every every comp, every you know, every comparison yeah. between uh, him and, and Bam. And I mean, obviously, but Bam coming out was kind of. I don't think he was a sure thing either. So it's it's obviously- no, he wasn't. That's why he fell to the back half of the lottery. Right, exactly. And that's exactly, you know, why teams are going to be like, well, is he going to be BAM? Is he not going to be BAM? And I think some of that depends on, you know, what organization he falls to, where he he ends up. I think Miami was, you know, Miami is great. Obviously, we've talked a lot about the Miami Heat and what they do in terms of development and what they do in terms of their culture. And, you know, BAM being in the right spot at the right time, just that's, I think that's partially, you know, why he's gotten to where he's gotten. So I think with the Kongwu, it's going to be a little bit of the same thing, right? Yeah, I think so. And and look, Bam is the high, high ceiling one. Right. Like, there's a chance that Big O is more, I don't know, let's say Clint Capella. Yeah. You know? So yep. then if that's the case, how much stock do you put into that? Right. And And that's where you have to attach value to a lot of these guys. The bottom line is, and I was looking up the numbers on this, according to Synergy Sports, three quarters of Big O's touches came off relocating inside, crashing the boards, running the floor, rolling to the basket, rim running. And there's a lot of value in that. There's no doubt a lot of value in that, especially for a team like the Cavs. If you pair him with Darius Garland as a pick and roll partner, you could have something there. But it makes you feel like maybe possibly – the ceiling is a little bit lower mm-hmm. because what if he doesn't develop that perimeter game? Right. Then what's the value yeah. of a guy like that who is one undersized for his position and two, 
like so inside oriented where all of his work or the majority of work comes on putbacks, scoring in the post, uh, lobs, rolling to the rim. Like, what's the value of that? I don't know. It's it's gone down in recent years. Certainly has. Certainly has. At least offensively. Like, defensively, he would still, you would think, in theory, be able to guard on the perimeter because he's got the quick feet, because he's got the long arms, because he's got the athleticism. But offensively, like, if those other perimeter skills don't come, what do you have? Exactly. What's the ceiling? I don't know. It's tough. Not, yeah. Not as high, for sure. Um, so, but you, even with all that even said, you think so? You you specifically think that the ceiling is maybe higher than, you know, the lower ceiling that we were talking about. Like you believe in the three point. You believe in his outside game. So I think it's hard to know for sure. Right. Um, but it looks like his shot is repeatable from the free throw line, and all indications from people that I've talked to. He's a great kid who works on his game. So a lot of that is going to determine where he goes um, in, in terms of with his career. Right. Some of these guys won't work the way that they need to work to add those pieces to their game. Speaking of working on your game, the next guy you have <laughs> might maybe have worked a little too not too hard, but a little worked a little too much on his game, um, because when we talked about Devin Vassell, yeah, or is it Vassell? Which one is it? Vassell. Vassell. Thank you. Okay. See, you'll get it right by November 18th. Yeah, we we've talked about it so much, and I go back and forth. Vassell Vassell. Um, Denny Avdia. That's the right way to say it. Would I know you that. say that you vacillate? Vacillate. Yes, that's a good one. That's a very good one. I vacillate. That's spelled differently, but I like it. Um, he this clip came out of him shooting the ball like a catapult from behind his head and like throwing it like a bowling ball or like a I don't know like some sort of rock behind his behind his head and yeah. you know people freaked out and and maybe even some teams freaked out but before that I mean you talked to Leonard Hamilton and you, you know you were you seemed very high on the kid because of just what Leonard Hamilton said about the kind of worker he is and the kind of you know play person he is and the kind of you know things that he works on and um, in addition to everything he brings so. He still is pretty high for you. That's a that's the um, that's the fourth option uh, for the Cavaliers in your mind. Um, you know, just because he does fit all the boxes in terms of um, the three position, um, can shoot from three, maybe a little bit more of a three and D guy. Um, so what do you? So is it is it that he's this low because of you know what's going on with this shot, or is this just in general this low? I think in general this low. I just don't think um, I don't think he has as much offensive upside as some of the other guys in front of him. Like I said with Big O, if his offense comes and it drifts out to the perimeter, then you mm -hmm. could have the next bam. Like that's big time to me. Yep. Right. If a Coro's offense uh, continues to evolve and he shows that he could shoot from the outside to complement all the other stuff that he brings, you could have, I don't know, Andre Guadala, Jalen Brown type guy. Mm -hmm. Vassell, to me, might be more of a known because there's more evidence. Two years at Florida State, back to back years of shooting 40 percent from three. But like how much more can he add to his game? 
Right. That's what I wonder about him. Can he go create his own shot consistently? I don't know. Maybe he can, maybe he can't. Or is he just going to be, you know, a catch-and-shoot, standalone three-point guy um, who also gives you the defense in the mold of Robert Covington? I don't know. It's it's hard to know those kinds of things, right? right? So much about it is projection. I would tell you that I'd feel a lot better about his shot and continuing in that role of a 3 and D guy with the three attached if I didn't see that 20-second video clip that's now <laughs> been deleted. Right. It's So you have, and I, I don't mean to go back here, but you have his teammate on here as well. Yeah. Patrick Williams. Yeah. And you don't have a ton here on him. And that's actually a name that I don't even think I've, I, I mean, I ha- I've seen it, but I've never heard it in regards to the Cavaliers. So, you know, he's a big guy, 6'8". Um, what does he bring to the table and why would he be, you know, very close in your mind with Devin Vassell? So he's the youngest college player in the draft. Okay. With that comes natural upside and a ton of risk, especially when you think about his pedigree and the kind of recruit that he was. Um, six foot eight, tons of potential to maybe play both forward spots in the future, guard threes, guard fours. Um, and you saw flashes of him as a freshman where he's using his athleticism to dunk, where he's using his athleticism to get in the passing lanes, where he's using his athleticism to block shots. Right. Um, all freshmen. I mean, I just think right now, He's an athlete more than a basketball player who does his best work about, like, shot blocking, putbacks, maybe some post-ups here or there. But it's like, (laughs) yo, (laughs) with this package of athleticism and intrigue, at some point, it's worth the swing. And if it blows up in your face, it blows up in your face. Yeah. I mean, I'm just looking here. Yeah, I mean, it seems like he would be a a good fit for what the Cavaliers are looking for, too, um, in terms of, you know, kind of a mid guy who could maybe play a little bit of both. Right, Um, and I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. Again, like we talked about, um, NBA guys, um, teams around the league, scouts, are all looking for guys with this kind of toolkit. Yeah. Um, and, And some of these teams like these moldable ball of clay that they can just morph into whatever they want it to be. And he's he's that. He fits that. All right, the last guy that you have on the number five, and that was number six. That was kind of a not a throwaway, but a a, a asterisk maybe. Yeah, because, yes. because I didn't include five guys from the very beginning. Right, right. So you included four or four five guys, one option, but the option is your best option is to trade. Um, yeah. This last one is probably going to send some fans into a tizzy. <laughs> just because just because the Cavaliers have drafted guard, 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 guard. They've just been guard heavy. And then you go with Tyrese Halliburton from Iowa State, another guard. Um, which and and this is the most I think this is the 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 thing that blew me away about what you wrote. Um, he would instantly become Cleveland's best playmaker. Yeah. Now, does that mean that? he's already better than Colin Sexton or Darius Garland, or he's just, they're just not the playmakers that Tyrese Halliburton is. Yeah. It's just about the the skills that they bring to the table. 
Yeah. Did you consider Darius Garland in his rookie year to be a great playmaker, a guy who no. continuously got his teammates involved? Absolutely not. No. Is Colin that guy? No, absolutely no. not. And, and look, these guys, obviously, um, they're going to develop, you would think. Uh, they're going to continue you to add think, different yes, elements to their game. I thought Colin showed some growth in the playmaking towards the the end of uh, February and beginning of March before the league shut down because of coronavirus. But it's like, at his core, Colin is a score-first guard. That's okay. That's okay. Some guys are like that. And he's great at it. There aren't a lot of guys, Hayden, that can just roll out and get 20 points on a nightly basis and do it efficiently. So to me... That wasn't supposed to be a knock on Colin. It's just stylistically, the Cavs don't have somebody like this. Yeah, I mean, they you're you're right in that both are. I mean, especially Colin is not really a point guard. He's more of you know we've already talked. No, they about admitted the as much. They admitted as much as an yeah. organization because they drafted Darius at five one year after taking Colin, and they drafted Darius to be the point guard of the future. That was their admission that Colin is not a true natural point guard. So in what in what world do the Cavaliers? Okay, <laughs> let's 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 back let's let's look at this from a broad perspective. Okay. In what world? So like, say the Cavaliers, say the Cavaliers don't trade back because they could trade back with any team, and then they could be in any situation, and any of these guys could be on the board, right? Sure, and then sure. you know, then you're fine with Halliburton at a certain point, right? Yeah. In what world do the Cavaliers pick pick um, at number five? Yeah. Did, which do they pick Okongwu? Do they pick Vassal? And do they pick Halliburton? Vassell. Like, see, damn it. <laughs> We're going to have to create a money jar and you're going to have to <laughs> donate every single time you get it wrong. Perfect. I love it. I love it. I, I'm usually good. You know what the funny thing is? I'm usually good with pronouncing people's names right. And th- yeah. for whatever reason, that one I just cannot get. Um, but so in what world, Vassell? What world do they pick Vassell, Okongwu, or um, Halliburton at number five? Or is there any world where that happens? I don't think it's high, to be honest with you. I don't. Nope. I think they would have a hard time passing on Okoro, to be honest with you. If he was there? Yeah, given the need and the talent, it's the best combination of the two. Um, Okay. In saying, so, like, here's the way that I look at it right now. We're... More than two weeks away from the NBA draft. Yep. I don't know their order. I still don't know their order. I'm not going to pretend that I do at this point in time. I think there's a lot of time still before the draft yeah, for there's things draft. to change. Yeah, things could change instantly. Right? Like last year, it seemed like the Cavs were going to take DeAndre Hunter at number five. And then all of a sudden, a team that wanted him traded up in front of them to take him. Those things could happen. Two of the picks in the top four are probably available at this point in time. If the Warriors or Timberwolves get a blowaway offer, then what we believe about the top five could change in an instant. Completely. So here's what I believe right now, more than two weeks away. Mm, How can I phrase this? I think it's a three-person race between number five. Okay. I think it's Denny, Obi, or Okoro. 
Okay. Those are the three that I believe there would be enough consensus on within the organization that right. they would be comfortable enough. In saying that, like, are there people inside the organization that like Tyrese Halliburton and might bang the drum for him and think that the Cavs can create something like Oklahoma City had with a three-guard lineup of Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Chris Paul, and Dennis Schroeder? Yeah, I think there is somebody in the organization that loves Tyrese Halliburton and would fight for him at number five. Would he get his way? I don't think so. Right, so that's what it comes down to. Um, there, there are different scouts and there are different executives, and it's a collaborative approach. Uh, right. But, but the person who makes the decision at the end of the day has to be most comfortable with that decision, has to be most comfortable with that investment. And in some ways, I feel like at five, you have to have more of a consensus to feel comfortable about that. And I just feel like there are three guys that the Cavs would get to that consensus with. And it's Obi Toppin, Denny Avdia, Avdia and um, Obi Toppin. Isaac Okoro. I, I, sorry, Isaac Okoro, yes. Yeah, that's okay. that's what I think right now. Okay. I think that that's, I think that's, I, I'm, I feel the same way. And I mean, I don't have as much intel as you do, obviously, but um, it just seems like with their best player available approach, yeah. right? I think that plays into it too. Um, just because, you know, at number five, they're going to have, they're likely going to have maybe all three, maybe two or three, maybe one of three, but I think that they're going to have a chance. So, you know, when you look at the grand scheme of things and all the mock drafts and everything that, I mean, the value of those three guys seems to be above everybody else in terms of just the best player available. So I think with, with that kind of mindset that the Cavaliers have, then I think that they are going to end up in that direction. Right. And that's kind of where I'm leaning right now in right. saying that there are things to like about Onyeka Kangwu, and there yeah. are things that would make him a good fit. I think we've talked about this before, and I feel like you can talk yourself into any of these prospects, right. and you can talk yourself out of any of these prospects. Yeah, we. I mean, we've talked for like six months about these prospects, and we, <laughs> I mean... It just, we got in circles, like, oh, we like this guy. I mean, it's just like, it's right. just, you know, and these guys got to be doing the same thing. They absolutely, yes. they're, they're human like us, and they talk about these guys just like we do. I mean, you know, it's they maybe in a different setting and with a little more background and intel, but they still do. Of course. So they have to have these conversations. They have to have these debates. You have to have somebody that's going to bring somebody new to the table so it starts to make you think. And you can have conversations about why, why not? It's all part of the process. Right. So if you're not already signed up, and you should be, you should definitely sign up for subtext. And specifically, if you're a Cavaliers fan, and why would you not be a Cavaliers fan if you were listening to this podcast? Um, you should definitely sign up for Chris's subtext, uh, especially as we are get closer and closer and closer and closer and closer to the NBA draft. It's $3.99 a month, but in I believe in what two days it will be, or I mean, it's if you if you subscribe today, it will be 14 days for free. But if you subscribe in two days from right now, which is Monday, then you will get 14 days free leading up to the NBA draft. So I'm I'm not trying to like get you know tell people to not pay for subtext because I think it's worth it, and you will be hooked once you get into it. But if you want to try, what better time to try 
subtext than right now, you know, two weeks before the draft where Chris is getting a bunch of information about all these guys and I'm going to give you the latest insights and analysis. So again, sign up for the subtext. It will be on the page just below the podcast that you're listening to on the cleveland.com slash Cavs site. So go ahead, sign up for the subtext, $3.99 a month after the 14-day free trial. You're going to get great information uh, from Chris as we get closer and closer to the NBA draft. Chris, um, we may have a special guest upcoming, or we're we're likely going to have a special guest coming up later this week, correct? That's what we're hoping for, yes. Okay. And very busy fellow, though. So, well, I, aren't we'll we all? Cross our fingers on it. Aren't we all? So, <laughs> well, some of us more than others. Right, right, exactly. So, I hope that this person will, uh, we'll, we'll keep it a secret, but I hope that this person will join us. Um, he's been around us for a while. He's a very, very good man. And uh, obviously, he's been, you know, working a lot, not working in the bubble. I don't, was he, he wasn't in the bubble. I don't think he was. No, I'm, I'm 99% sure he wasn't. Yeah, I don't think he was. But he's as knowledgeable as anybody, and uh, he's he's got some ties to Northeast Ohio for sure. So um, looking forward to that. And that should be, you said, maybe Wednesday. That's the hope, yeah. Okay. We're still working so, on some scheduling things. Okay, so that could happen. And then we might, I mean, could, could are you thinking that we could do like a draft night podcast after everything or no? Man, I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, I don't. I don't know we'll what it's one, going we'll to be like. Sunday, right? Yeah, for sure. We'll do our final kind of wrap up draft, and then maybe maybe on draft night. Who knows? It kind of depends on how busy you are, to be honest. That's the thing. I don't know. I don't know the kind of availability that we're going to have this year compared to most years. Yeah. I don't know how much work I'm going to have after the fact, or if we're going to wait for the next day or the day after. I don't know. It's going to be yeah. such a weird thing. Well, we will play it by ear. How about that? Yeah, that sounds good to me. I like that. All right. And Perfect. then when are we going to get introduced to these guys? It's the other thing. Via Zoom, We're, definitely. <laughs> yeah, obviously via Zoom. But then the other question is, when are they going to get to meet their teammates? Actually, that's that's the that's the that's the question of all questions. Isn't that crazy? Who knows? That's crazy to think about. Whoever it is could be drafted with the fifth overall pick on November 18th. And then who knows when they're going to be able to meet their teammates, actually meet them in person. You know, Hayden, they're talking about potentially December 22nd for the start of the season. That's a month after being drafted by a team. Yep. Think about that. Usually it's... these guys are drafted in June, and then media day isn't until end of September. Training camp isn't until October. It's That's like insane. a huge integration process that these guys go through. Now it's going to be rapid fire. Yeah, and I think the only thing that, that makes it okay is that they're all going to be going through it, you know. Every team's going to have to deal with it. Yeah, you know, but if... right, but, but some teams, one, are better equipped for it. True. And two, some prospects are better equipped for it. And I think that's something that Kobe Altman and the Cavaliers will have to consider for sure. You yeah, know? without a doubt. All right, Chris, if you got nothing else, um, we will talk probably later this week. And we'll have another podcast for you later this week. How does that sound? That's, sounds good to me, man. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us in the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. 
Joined as always by Chris Fedor, who we appreciate his insights and analysis. Again, go check out his work on cleveland.com slash Cavs and sign up for his subtext. We are 18, or no, we are less than 18 days. We are less than two weeks, about 16 days away from the NBA draft. So it's going to be crunch time for the Cavaliers in the near future. Be sure to tune in for the latest on the uh, Wine and Gold Talk podcast, as I said, and we will talk to you soon. Take care.